0: Well, as we conclude this, this uh, portion, as it were, of, of the study of God's word and defining what it is, that, that commission those commissions uh, which he has uh, given to his church in his word, um, we do so by looking at the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter. And go ahead. And, thanks, Bill. Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 20 in your book, and in your booklets. To uh, page thirty seven, we're going to consider the nature of our commission to evangelize from what we hear and learn in John chapter twenty, verses nineteen to twenty two. Listen then to the reading of the word of the Lord on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pause briefly once again for prayer. Father, the hymn expresses so well our heart's desire. What we do desire, Lord, and that is more of you. And also the confession, which unfortunately is an adequate Reflection and representation of the fact that we have not loved you or served you or feared you as we ought. Lord, how we look forward to that day when we will know fully, even as we are fully known, and we will see you face to face. That great and victorious day, not because of the work of our hands or anything that we would do or have done or even could do, but simply on the basis of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And we give thanks to you this morning for that. Asking at the same time that as the hymn concludes saying, we too say now in prayer that you would help us to prepare for that day, in this day, to prepare more and more each day for that great and glorious coming day when we will enter into that joy which has been prepared for us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Help us to be uh, your servants. Help us to be instruments of uh, your your grace by proclaiming the message, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the nature of our commission to evangelize. Um, I'm going to start with an introduction, which I do believe is, yes, it is. Uh, uh, copied there in your outlines, uh, and be- before that, Roger Carswell is the author of this quote. There it is. Uh, he-, he was writing about something he came come ac- across in, a, in an article in the newspaper. Carswell first writes these words, uh, those a journal- journalists view, uh, and Carswell writes, the church's apparent lack of concern or commitment to reach out to the lost world can be, bew- can be bewildering even to the unsaved as well." He continues, in 1994, Matthew Parris was made Newspaper Columnist of the Year. He is a political sketchwriter for the London Times, an ex-member of Parliament, skeptical about Christianity. Writing in the Times, he, Matthew Parris, said, the New Testament offers a picture, a God who does not sound at all vague to me. He has sent his Son to earth. He has distinct plans for each of us personally and can communicate directly with us. We are capable of forming a direct relationship individually with him and are commanded to try. We are told this can be done only through his Son. And we are offered the prospect of eternal life, an afterlife, in happy, blissful, and glorious circumstances if we live this life in a certain manner. Friends, if I believed that, or even a tenth of that, how could I care which version of the prayer book was being used? I would drop my job, sell my house, throw away my possessions, leave my acquaintances, and set out into the world burning with desire to know more and, when I had found out more, to act upon it and tell others. How is it possible to be indifferent to the possibility, if one believes it to be a possibility, that a being of this order makes demands of this order upon you or me, and that in 30, 20, 10 years, perhaps tomorrow, we shall be taken from this life and ushered into a new one whose nature will depend upon our obedience now to his will. Far from being puzzled that the Mormons or Adventists should knock on my door, I am unable to understand how anyone who believed that, what is written in the Bible, could choose to spend his waking hours in any other endeavor. And then Carswell concludes uh, his explanation of the gospel may not be absolutely accurate, but the rebuke is an indictment upon all Christians. The commissions, uh, I, I wanted to note, uh, I wasn't sure when I was going to make this note, but the uh, Sometimes there's been some questions if the Great Commission, Great Commissions of the Recording of the Scripture, apply to the post apostolic church, apply uh, authoritatively to the church in general. And uh, it could be pointed out that uh, it's it's, it's improper to restrict the Great Commission to the apostles uh, and to them alone. Uh, Because in Luke's account of of the occasion that we looked at at the first hour this morning, uh, chapter 24 and verse 33, Uh, there were others present and included in the Lord's address. The uh, two on the road to Emmaus were included uh, in that address. And it's interesting when you see who was there when the Lord gave that commission in Luke 24, that it wasn't just the apostles. And also, I think it's uh, more often, more frequently been pointed out, both by William Carey, uh, John Murray, and others, that in the... uh, or in Matthew's account, chapter 28, the commission that is given there, yes, exclusively to the 12, but it comes conjoined with the promise that I, I will be with you even to the end of the age. So it would be, we'd be very hard-pressed to, to separate the one and say that was given only to the apostles uh, from the other, the context of which, or the conclusion which is given, I will be with you always even to the end of the age. No, the great commissions are for the church, it's for the church militant until the very end uh, when the Lord will come again <coughs> triumphantly. Also, we, you know, one last point about that. In uh, the book of Acts, we have uh, the Chronicles there through, by the Holy Spirit using the author Luke, <coughs> uh, given that the commission that was given first to the apostles, but there's a passing of that, as it were, on through the apostles to embrace the entire church. So you have the church scattered in the eighth chapter of, uh, of uh, Acts because of the persecution of God's servant, Stephen. And what happens? They joyfully take the gospel with them uh, wherever they go. Uh, Stephen, Barnabas, and of course, one who was untimely born, uh, the Apostle Paul himself. Uh, But back in chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, we read, But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged men off and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So I, I, just say, I just kind of say that quickly. I don't think we would get uh, uh, any questions uh, along those lines or perhaps any uh, question which would imply that this, the Great Commissions are not for the church, but they were really just and exclusively for the apostles. That has been uh, voiced over the years, and I think we can make a strong and pressing case uh, as, as uh, I just give a quick recounting of these verses. That is the church that has been uh, commissioned. Yes, certainly is there there is a sense of special office and a sense of general office and I have not um, um, failed to, uh, to point that out throughout my talks this week. But we wouldn't want to advance the idea that it is of the special office only and to the exclusion of the general office where we are all to uh, bring this good, good message as the sheep who have been scattered <clears throat> even to the uh, ends of the earth. So the good news that the shepherd once stricken wherein the sheep scattered because of fear is now risen and the sheep understand how it was this was according to God's foreordained plan and his wonderful and expressed purpose that the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life in accordance with the Father's plan. And then we come with the joy and the the enthusiasm and the confidence that the resurrection brings to his heart. Now that victorious Lord scatters his sheep yet again, but not without him, but with him. And I will be with you always to the ends of the earth. And we go joyfully and we preach the gospel, we preach the word wherever we go. Now, uh, in our uh, looking at John chapter 20 this morning, we see, we see three things. Uh, first of all, an essential experience that must be ours as we go as vessels of this treasure that we carry within. That essential experience is peace. The Lord, this is mentioned twice in our reading, When the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jews and the Lord, Jesus came and stood among them, peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. So the first thing we see in this section is that the apostles and we also need that essential experience of the peace of God, the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, we need the peace of God before we go. Acts chapter 10, verse 36. You have it in your notes. Wherein we read, the context there is at Cornelius' house in Caesarea. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. So an essential element of the gospel that we would take is the peace that is ours Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 52 verse 7. How beautiful the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Who proclaim peace and bring good tidings. Who proclaim salvation and say to Zion, your God reigns. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace (coughs) with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's an essential experience that we need before we go. Romans chapter 2, verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. In that he himself is our peace, he says to us, My peace I give to you. I do not give you peace as the world gives. There's an essential element and a uh, differentiating peace. It is unique. Uh, to the Christian because it is uniquely <clears throat> the Lord Jesus Christ who himself is our peace this dividing wall of hostility must first be broken down and that's not our work but that's his work in and for us that we can then go and announce this peace this message we can have not happy feet uh, that's before your time young people Steve Martin used to talk about happy feet we can have those beautiful feet uh, as some of you are nodding and saying yes the beautiful feet uh, of the evangelist the announcer, the peace, as we run with the message and we say, our God reigns. We need peace with God. We also need peace with one another. Uh, you have, I believe, the, um, proof te- the text in your, in your uh, booklets, yes, you do, from Colossians, Romans. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time. I don't have them written out in my copy, unfortunately, but I'm going to look those up and just read them out loud. I might not do this with all, but I'm going to do it here because I want to develop this just a little bit. Peace with one another. 1st Colossians, chapter 3, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Again, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Romans 14, verse 19. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the third verse. Ephesians 4, 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. I might as well read verse 2, too. I might as well read from the beginning of the chapter. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You remember how Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul, goes on to uh, elaborate on that for the church of the ages how it is that there is an essential unity uh, of, the, of, the, uh, of the Lord that we confess and, and, the, and the baptism and the one faith and the one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That we are, first of all, to cherish, then we are to nurture, and then we are uh, ready to proclaim it to a world that is looking for the unity which the gospel alone can bring and peace as its consequence. First Thessalonians 5, verse 13 First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. The context of this is joy and a uh, positive outlook to the work of Christ's under-shepherds, Christ being the great shepherd, and how it is that it's to be our attitude and, and uh, posture uh, concerning them who have been entrusted with the uh, ministry of guarding us, keeping watch over us. I'll go ahead and read verse 12. Now, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. And then the verse that is in your booklets, verse 13. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Live in peace with each other. So again and again, these verses here show that peace with one another is the essential element and the outgrowth of the peace that we have with God I would add only uh, what I think you you know, and we we sense again as we read these verses. Uh, As a church, local, we need to be living what we want to live in our households, in our families, Uh, fathers, mothers, husbands, and wives. Uh, You know that this doesn't come automatically. And you also know how it is that our marriages will only show the fruit that the Lord Jesus Christ promises for them when we work hard to cultivate uh, the atmosphere, the guard, the soil, so that peace is, is the word uh, of our marriages and, and the deepening of that marriage unity in our marriage. We know that. We might not be living it perfectly, but we know that we need to press on to make this a reality in our homes. First of all, our children need to see that. If there is no peace in our marriages, there will be precious little or none whatsoever in our families. And then we know our responsibility, which is laid upon us in the scriptures, the word of God, that we make peace a reality uh, with our children, which don't by human nature live at peace one with another, do they? But we need to faithfully and diligently come back and say, wait a second, wait a second, kids. The the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be the rule. Going back to Colossians, the arbiter, the judge, as it were, the whistleblower, uh, uh, the one who reigns in this household. You need children to learn to live at peace with one another. You need to learn to give up your rights. Mine, I had it first. And you need to learn what it means to love your brother, to love your sister as, as would Christ and live at peace with one another. So we deal with this, I think, relatively diligently in our households. And I'm encouraged by what I see uh, throughout the church. Why? Because we know that the Christian faith is the fact that we are a forgiven people. And the forgiveness that God not only offers, but that he brings to us is the very cornerstone of our confession. It's the rock to which we cling. We've sung this throughout our entire five days together. So though we don't do it perfectly, we want to perfect that more and more more in our marriages and in our families and households. Amen? And and we're we're pressing on, forgetting what is behind and looking uh, to what is ahead. Well, with that same dedication, We need to do it in our local churches. We need to learn to live as a forgiven people. And we need to always, with, with humility and with dependence on the God of all forgiveness, be willing to go and to ask forgiveness or to forgive, to extend forgiveness. I heard testimony of a wonderful happening at our General Assembly just this past year, where the representatives of our churches throughout the land were, what, perhaps just silenced with mouth agape because the Lord, through his Holy Spirit, worked wonderful reconciliation, spontaneously almost as it were, where there, there was a stopping of what, was, what might might have happened because of what was happening. And uh, the moderator said, wait a second, let's stay right here. And then and the Lord brought different parties to reconciliation, to an admission of, of guilt uh, on their parts, to a recognition of this, and an asking of forgiveness And then forgiveness asked, forgiveness bestowed. And tears, I was told, were throughout the assembly. Because we know that this is a real reality. It's within our grasp. But we need to live this more and more in our local churches, in our regional church, in our presbytery of Southern California, uh, in Mexico, and in Tijuana. Of course, this isn't. If it is a problem, then to the the degree to which it is a problem, it's not our problem or our local church or, or the presbytery of Southern California. Is throughout. Can't you see? Won't we see that obviously uh, Satan will, will, get, uh, will save his, his punch for, for the church at this point? He will hit us with his hardest blow, just as he will in our marriages. He's going to attack there to disrupt and destroy the unity in the family. So if we need to be on our guard, if we need to beware of the wiles of the evil one, if we need to always be vigilant and constant in prayer and in humility uh, and in looking to Christ to give us that victory by learning to live and by living as a forgiven people, so too we need to not stop it and leave it at the door of our home. We need to bring that attitude right to the doors of the church, be it local or regional. Peace with one another being the constant refrain of of the Gospels. The Lord Jesus Christ says to the apostles there behind closed doors, peace I give to you. And we need to work to make that peace a reality in every aspect of our endeavor as the body of Christ, as the one people of God. Peace with one another. And then we are sent as peacemakers. So much has been done. So much wonderful wonderful, uh, biblical uh, instruction has been written through that uh, now organization known as peacemakers that I won't even try to recapitulate that here. But just look at a couple of these verses about uh, the Lord sending us as peacemakers. Romans 12, verse 18. And again it would be well to I would do well to read the seventeenth verse, do not repay anyone evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Verse eighteen. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Hebrews twelve, verse fourteen. Make every effort to live in peace with all men, with all men, and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The second half of that verse is well, more, more well known. Uh, it, it is part of one verse. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. James chapter three, verse 18. Verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace will raise a harvest of righteousness. That again on the heels of the instruction. Well known, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving. Consider it submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. Then peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. We are called to be peacemakers who go sowing in peace. And then lastly, 1 Peter 3, verse 11. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. Verse 11. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. So the peace of God is that essential experience which we need within before we go. Of course, we need to have uh, to be turned in from God's enemies to, uh, to ones who are um, at peace with God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a result, we need to be at peace with one another in the body of God. Jesus Christ, which is his church. And then the church is called out of the world to be sent into the world and to go as peacemakers. Jesus gives us not just, uh, instructs us of that essential experience, but also he gives us a perfect example in the Great Commission. There's an as so even of the second part. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. We have the Lord's perfect example of being a sent church, one that was called out of the world, but then sent back into the world with the powerful message of reconciliation with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, being his ambassadors. First of all, how is it that the Lord, that the Lord Jesus Christ was sent? What was the nature of his mission? Well, his mission was central to all that he was and all he said and all he did. I was sent for this purpose. Uh, we won't uh, look at the verses, and I really only put in a couple of them. There are so very many throughout... Uh, uh, the book of Luke, there's two there are recorded but John, you could pick um, uh, so very many of them. I wonder why I was I can't even remember why I highlighted that that one I think there were probably 17 of them in the book of John that I could have included in your booklet. So let's just quickly look at John 9 verse 4 there was something about the context that caught my eye Christ's mission was central uh, to all that he taught and to all that he did Perhaps because it it is inclusive. It wasn't, perhaps because he said in his context that it wasn't just in reference to him, but uh, uh, then through him, it has application and implications for all of us. Chapter, uh, verse four. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Christ's mission was central. Christ's mission was compassionate. Now the second one. His deep love is revealed again and again throughout the Gospels when he is confronted with the desperation of fallen man. And I'll be very upfront and bold and say to you this morning that I do need your prayers. I need your continued prayers. I probably should put this right on my prayer list as we send out prayer letters. As a matter of fact, I remember now, I have. But I should probably do it every time. Brethren, please please pray for me that I wouldn't lose compassion uh, for the rare people that I am sent to uh, to uh, seek as, as, as uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as I pr- uh, proclaim and present the gospel, uh, in many ways, from the pulpits uh, formally, but also as we go door to door. It is so easy for me. I know my weaknesses in this area. It is so easy for me to say, you're getting what you deserve. As I look over the hills of Tijuana, uh, there's something about the city of Tijuana. I love her dearly. Ever since I sense that I had to leave Rosarito and the focus of our ministry was south if you remember the very early days of the ministry of the Baja Venusiano Carranza, K54 and, and how we had our sights set there in the beginning but then I was just under this growing um, uh, constraint this growing understanding and, and a sense of call that, that the Lord was leading both me and the ministry of the OPC to the city of Tijuana that vast city back then perhaps one and a half million people today three million and beyond that's the vast city which is so lost there is such a desperation to the city of Tijuana. Those who have been with me uh, know this. Um, those who uh, perhaps haven't been with me and won't go with me, because uh, it is perhaps because they, they understand this, and there's a little bit of a, uh, a, a, a intimidation factor from all the stories we've heard. But uh, the crumbs don't sense that so much. But I'll tell you what I do sense as I go back in the hills. People come to the city of Tijuana incognito. It seems to me culturally. They've left something behind. They've left their families. They've left uh, perhaps those things which work as a restraining influence under God's uh, common grace to, to the expression of sin. And there's a giving over to that sinful lifestyle once they get to Tijuana. Typically men have come alone and it does not take them long to find a woman with whom they will shack up. And we meet people in the context of ministering the gospel who are not on their first wives weren't their wives to begin with. And they probably didn't marry the gal in Mexico City either. But it's their second. And, well, I'll even go a little bit further. My dear wife came home from women's Bible study uh, the other day, uh, midweek, and we were glad that there was another gal there. And we always are glad. And and, uh, she was a first-time visitor. And Jane spoke to her afterwards and got to know a little bit about her. And she said to me, sorrowfully, Jane said, but Dave, I could have told you her story before she told me her story herself. And that's such a sad thing. And Jane only said that to me, and I took it over from there. So her story was that the man with whom she's living now is not her husband, and there's children by different fathers, and the husband uh, is abusive, and he's left the household, and she's dismayed now because the second man uh, has shown himself to be unfaithful, and there's a desperation, and she has no money, etc., etc. And Jane looked at me and she said, all of that, all of that. My problem is as I go and I, and I see the, 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 the thousands upon thousands and then we go over the next hill where you think the city ends and there's a whole other section of houses and, and shacks and yet another section of thousands. So that is very easy for me to lose compassion. My heart grows hard. My zeal dies. I, it seems that if I were pressed upon by the masses, you know, ask me, feed me, you know, clothe me, give me shelter. I know my heart, and I would just say, feed yourselves. Find your own shelter. Until what? Until the time that I come back to the gospel. Do you remember the, God, the rock opera God Spell? All the young people are saying, no, never heard of it. Good. All, the, all my generation, yes, I remember it. Do you remember? Was it God Spell or Superstar? It was, ah, thanks. Hey, you know this better than I. It wasn't. God's it was superstar. Do you remember that horrible section somewhere along the middle of the rock opera where the crowds are pressing in against Jesus Christ and and you hear this cacophony in crescendo? Feed me. Heal me. Feed me. And then a, a screaming, blaring, feed yourselves. What a blasphemous portrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ who had what? Compassion. Jesus was the one who had to point it out to the apostles. These people have been with me for some time now. They have no food. They'll be hungry. It comes from his compassionate initiative. Let's feed them. The apostles are their head. Lord, how are we going to feed so many? You need faith. But my point here is that the Lord has compassion at every turn. He never once thought or said, Feed yourselves. And I need more of the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so do you. We need it as his people, for he has given us an example. When he said, even as the Father has sent me, so send I you. We need to be, uh, have the uh, mission of the Lord Jesus Christ as central to our ministry. We need uh, to, to have this overriding sense of purpose that the church is the community of him who first chose her out of the world and then sent her back into the world. We need the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ as we go. And we also need to be reminded that the, the mission of our Lord was costly. It was costly from beginning to end in his state of humiliation. It was costly from his birth. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And that was from the very beginning, of course, we know, in Bethlehem. Throughout the entire ministry of his life, the accusations, the innuendo, uh, the, the uh, speaking behind his back, oh, yes, uh, uh, this is a mary 's son. Uh, it was throughout his entire life, and then also, of course, uh, climatically and yet horribly, uh, in his death. We looked at John the 19th chapter the other day, where the people would actually say, "We have no king save Caesar uh, or others would hurl blasphemous uh, epithets and mock him and belittle him and ridicule him as he is there in glory. Lifted up and uh, paying the price that our sins alone deserve, They would say, if you are the son of God, come down from that cross. He saved others, let him save himself. And the Lord in triumph, as he calls out from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know know not what they do. Christ's mission was costly. And we need to be willing and ready and enabled to pay the price. Now part of that, young people, is that you're going to have to learn what your parents already know. That the one who goes out sowing in tears looks forward to that day when we will reap and bring the harvest rejoicing. Uh, There are a lot of tears in the gospel ministry. It's a family ministry. It's an individual uh, 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 ministry or enterprise to which we have been called. It has all these aspects. We're called to do it individually and as a family and as the church family. It's not easy. It's going to cost you. We need to learn in humble reliance upon the Lord to go out, even if we go out uh, in tears, but in, in, in uh, dependence upon the one who promises that if we uh, go out in faith and being steadfast and diligent, we will in due time uh, reap a reward for those who labor in the Lord do not labor in vain. Okay? Perfect example, but also an equipping power. And I'm going to be quicker in this last one and then close. Um, Perhaps we'll even end up a little bit early uh, this morning. An equipping power. But let it be pointed out that uh, the third part of the words the Lord breathed on them and said, with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. We need not only an essential experience. He's given us also what we need, a perfect example, and we need an equipping power. Receive the Holy Spirit. First of all, let me just point out before uh, we point out doctrinally that, of course, it's only the Holy Spirit that makes effective our words. But i also like to point out that we ourselves need this power to carry out the work of personal evangelism. And we shouldn't overlook that, and I think we don't. But just a reminder in that case, we need the abiding power of the Spirit of God as we seek to fulfill his commission to be his witnesses to the end of the earth. Now, I'm quickly going through the pages of Scripture as I, as I read this because... Uh, This was yet again just yesterday impressed upon me. When did this uh, believers and the apostles first receive the Holy Spirit? On what day? Pentecost, right? Which chapter of the book of Acts? Right, the second chapter of the book of Acts. And yet in that passage that I was reading from Acts 4 yesterday, in that wonderful believer's prayer, upon hearing the good word of what the Lord did, uh, even after the nations were continuing to rage and make threats, breathe threats, uh, against... uh, those who were sent in the name of the Lord. Then they come back and there's that triumphant believer's prayer. And in verse 30 of the fourth chapter, we read, Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I deduce from this that Uh, Our need for the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit is an ongoing need. And we need to pray and pray believingly in humble reliance that the Lord will give that spirit. He's given it once uh, in a definitive sense, yes, by working faith in us. But we need to be daily dependent on the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, before we go uh, to carry out the task of personal evangelism. We need power to evangelize. And this power is not Of ourselves or in ourselves. Uh, It is in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, through his Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. You remember back in Zechariah, the context of Zechariah, what was going on there. The rebuilding of the temple amidst controversy, amidst discouragement, um, amidst tribulation. And in the fourth chapter of Zechariah, verse 6, we read these well-known words. uh, So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And then reading on a little bit from Zechariah, verse 7. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you, who despises the day of small things. Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Well, we know that in the New Testament, this has a a greater fulfillment uh, in, in God's work in and for and through his church. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. The Holy Spirit of the living God is necessary to all of our life and all of our labors. In the Old Testament, the spirit is often compared with breath. The same Hebrew word you know, I'm sure, has, uh, can be used for either. Ezekiel in chapter uh, 37 of Ezekiel was commanded to preach to dead bones and he prayed for the same heavenly breath verse 9 then he said to me prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to it this is what the sovereign Lord says come from the four winds O breath and breathe into these slain that they may live this was the context of this you know it well was that the prophet commissioned and sent to preach to a valley of dead bones and then they could seem to come to life, but in two stages. First, the bones coming together, flesh, uh, ligaments and the like, uh, holding them together, flesh put upon them, and yet, then the necessity of the Holy Spirit. So we need it first for ourselves, but we also need to depend in humble reliance that that same Holy Spirit would breathe life into, into those to whom we would preach the gospel. Point two, those to whom we witness need this same power in order to believe. The free offer of the gospel that we spoke of yesterday Uh, meets with no success unless God by his spirit does something for the sinner that the sinner cannot do for himself. When we give the gospel call, when we give God's invitation to all men, uh, we do so indiscriminately. God knows uh, who will believe. God knows who will receive. God knows who will be saved. We do not. And because of that, we are to sow uh, the seed with great uh, liberality to all. But the Lord who knows the heart, the Lord who knows them that are his, causes that seed that we sow to grow. He sends his word to change the hearts uh, of those he he changes the hearts that they can receive the word, those whom he has chosen in Christ before the foundation of the word. Now in your booklets you have who, where, when, how, and that's that's just uh, a reminder that uh, who will believe uh, is up to the Lord. Uh, Whether there will be few whether there will be many. Where? Uh, Some during a Sunday school uh, or Sunday morning worship service perhaps, others have to travel great distances, it seems, only to hear the gospel and then to come to the Lord of the gospel and to believe in him. When? Some are called early in life and others are called later in life. Little ones, it might be that you don't have a particularly dramatic little one. I'm sorry that I said that. That would have been last night. High schoolers, young men and women. It might be that you, I hope, that you don't have a particularly dramatic testimony that, that uh, in, in, in what we sometimes conceive of as dramatic okay. that uh, you, know, you can't say, well, well you know, I, I didn't have this, this uh, radical turnaround in my life. Well, what that means is that you are that wonderful second generation covenantal family or perhaps third, fourth, or fifth uh, and, and you will be able to stand and say, by God's same convicting grace working in your hearts and lives, but give what we parents think is the most wonderfully dramatic testimony of all. The God of my, we heard it last night, the God of my father and my mother is my God too. He's my God, he's my father's God, and he has saved me. That's the testimony that we want to hear from our children. And that's the testimony that we want to hear on Team Baja as we we work together to bring this powerful message uh, to others. So it might, we trust and pray, be that this wonderful message came to your heart And the Lord opened your eyes that you could see and you could say, yes, Lord, uh, thank you for saving me early in life. And fret not if you don't have what seem to be these more dramatic testimonies that you were in rebellion and rebellious lifestyle for some time. And you went all the way to a far off land and you heard the gospel and then uh, you came to faith. Uh, Your testimony is wonderful and dramatic and, uh, and is used mightily of the Lord. Especially in the context, think about it, just, I'm, I'm off, the, off the cuff here, but think about it in Tijuana once again, where there is a real longing. I, I suspect there's a, such a longing on the, on the part of your peers uh, that, that you have uh, this wonderful relationship because of the Lord Jesus Christ with your family and your moms and your dads. And we need to see at times that there are little ones looking at the windows of our homes. They're standing there and they're looking out from the outside uh, in and how they wish that they too could have this same covenantal blessing. And you, you can show them uh, that that, uh, that is a wonderful reality. Uh, the, the how. Sometimes the spirit works somewhat mysteria, mysteriously as it were. Uh, perhaps Lydia uh, couldn't tell the moment or exactly what it was that the Lord opened her heart that she would receive the word of God and immediately started to show gratitude to God by her graciously giving to the apostles and to those who were evangelists and carrying the message. But we might have uh, a specific, uh, more, of, uh, more of an obvious example with a Philippian jailer who for a time suffered terrors and panic uh, through the Lord and been made to cry out trembling and astonished, what must I do to be saved? Uh, the circumstances or it seems the how of it were different. And these all might be different, but it is the Lord uh, who sovereignly brings his people to faith in Jesus Christ. And then we go uh, with that same confidence to, to the world and uh, proclaiming Jesus Christ. Uh, so, in summary then, we need an, a, an essential experience. Peace be with you. A perfect example we have in Lord Jesus Christ, but we need to make that our pattern and model uh, that, uh, that equipping power, both in our own lives, for our own walk, but in all, all the labors that we would carry out unto the Lord's glory. And also for those who would hear our message that they can, uh, through that same Spirit, uh, believe and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved? That uh, finishes up our study in the, from the four Gospels. We do have a little bit of time that we can take questions. Uh, thanks. You're asking if it was, or you're pointing out that it was? Oh, good. I thank you for that, Bill. The quote that I was just... Oh, yeah. Yeah, and and that would be uh, uh, some of the application and implication of what we're saying with regard to the Holy Spirit uh, and uh, how we are to depend on Him in all that we do, either in methods uh, or the message itself that we bring. Yeah, Scott, a question over here. Uh, not directly related to what you're talking about, but if you want to read the reading list, you have the teaching, your understanding books, yeah. the evangelism books, then down at the end you have before you go. Oh. Good. But just a reminder that we need to be praying regularly. And thanks. I appreciate you putting, putting, uh, pointing that out. I would have forgotten that I'd done that altogether. Uh, two times now in our in our marriage, we've gone through Patrick Johnston's uh, Operation World, where you pray for the nations, and it, this is a wonderful tool uh, to help us in prayer. Uh, the way that's set up, I, does anyone know what the most recent edition is? Approximately what year Operation World? Uh, maybe it's the most recent I think is about five years old. But for those who haven't seen it, what he does is, is is go through the continents and the nations, making up those continents, and he gives a little bit of statistical information first about the country and its culture. And then statistical information about the church, its nature, and, and uh, then also specific challenges for that church. If it's an area where um, uh, they're going, undergoing suffering currently. Now, if it's five years old, that would clearly have to be updated. Would not. Uh, Don Poundstone prayed for the persecuted church throughout the world in our prayers this morning, and that needs to be constantly updated. But it does give uh, great information. I've found that I've taken that book off the shelf. Uh, when we would have somebody in our home who's from a country that I don't know particularly anything about, it's almost encyclopedic and you can quickly, you know, get a little bit of, uh, uh, of uh, factual data uh, to prepare you for an opportunity that, that you would have with that person so that at least you can ask intelligent questions before he or she are, are with you. Uh, we had a fellow from Turkey live with us for a couple, three weeks in Tijuana. Um, but also, that's not first and foremost what that book is all about. It's a book that is designed to take you in prayer through the nations. So it's just a real good tool, Scott, to help us to do what we've been learning and being reminded of throughout this week that we need to go prayerfully. That part of what we do is prayer, actually. I shouldn't separate them, but, but we need to talk to people about God and we need to talk to God about people. And Operation World really helps you to do that. I don't see any hands. Okay. Why don't we break then for lunch? Are there any further announcements? I guess we've made them all, right, Mike? Mark? Mike, Mark. That uh, will be at volleyball or whatever the activities. Would you like to reiterate any of those announcements? Pretty much got it? Okay. Okay. Well, the Lord bless you as you go. And uh, have fun this afternoon or get rest this afternoon. And we'll see you throughout.